This afternoon in our sermon, we'll, we'll study the third commandment as it's summarized and explained in Lord's Day 36. So we'll read that together, Lord's Day 36, together now. Before we do so, we'll remind ourselves of, of the third commandment. I'll, I'll read that for us. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Lord's Day 36. What is required in the third commandment? We are not to blaspheme or to abuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths, nor to share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. Rather, we must use the holy name of God only with fear and reverence, so that we may rightly confess Him, call upon Him, and praise Him in all our words and works. Is the blaspheming of God's name by swearing and cursing such a grievous sin that God is angry also with those who do not prevent and forbid it as much as they can? Certainly, for no sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than the blaspheming of his name. That is why he commanded it to be punished with death. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, are there any Sikhs or Muslims who live in your neighborhood? If there are, you'll probably know. You don't have to talk to them to find out that they are religious. Most practicing Muslim women wear a hijab, and many Sikh men wear turbans. And you may also have noticed something that looks like a golden cross or, or a circle hanging from the rearview mirror of a car driven by a Sikh. That's called the kanda and symbolizes several aspects of the Sikh faith. These are just a few examples of symbols in various religions. There are many more. Now, are there any Christians who live in your neighborhood? If there are, hopefully you'll know. But you might have to talk to them to find out. Now, perhaps they'll have a fish bumper sticker or wear a cross necklace. But often you can't tell that someone is a Christian just by looking at them. In that regard, Christians are different than people of many other faiths. There's no visible sign that sets us apart from other people. To find out that your neighbor is a Christian, you may have to talk to them. To get to know them. In the third commandment, the Lord teaches us that there is something that sets us apart from other religions. But it's not an article of clothing. It's that we bear His name. Christians bear the name of the Lord. It's not on our clothes, but our words and actions should make clear that we are Christians, people of the Lord. We must confess with our mouths that our Lord has saved us from our sins. That he has brought us from facing the penalty of eternal death into experiencing the joy of eternal life. And we must walk the talk. 
It shouldn't take long for someone to meet us and realize, oh, they're a Christian. We should wear this identity on our sleeves, so to speak. That brings us to our theme for this afternoon. Rightly bearing God's holy name is the difference between life and death. First, we'll see that it's death for those who blaspheme God's holy name. And second, we'll see life in Christ for those who confess God's holy name. First, death for those who blaspheme God's holy name. In the third commandment, the Lord commands, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This might be a commandment that we, we're prone to tune out. If we hear it every Sunday morning, and it's one of the middle commandments, and, and besides, when do we actually take the name of the Lord in vain? And if we think closely, we might have some questions about the commandment. What is the significance of God's name? And what does it really mean to take God's name in vain? In order to see the significance of God's holy name and why it's incredible that he has revealed his name to us, we have to take a trip to the mountain of God. But not Mount Sinai where the Lord revealed the Ten Commandments to Israel. We go back earlier to Mount Horeb when God called to Moses out of the burning bush. We find that in Exodus 3. At that time, God commissions Moses to bring his people out of Egypt. And if you remember the story, Moses is a little unsure about this. He asks, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Moses asks a big question here. When our parents give us names, they often have special meaning. And sometimes as we grow up, we might meet someone and think, wow, their, their name really suits them. But in the case of God, it's, it's more than that. His name is perfectly meaningful. His name perfectly expresses who he is. And the Lord answers Moses. He says, I am who I am. He commands Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. When God speaks his name, he says, I am who I am. In our English Bible, the Lord translates the name of God from the original Hebrew. And in the original Hebrew, that name is pronounced something like Yahweh. So in this passage, the Lord makes clear that his name will never change and that all generations are to remember him by his name. God is who he is. He does not change. He's not created He's not identified by his connection with anything else. He simply is. We can cherish the fact that God has made himself known to us. 
and not only to the Israelites, by name. We can cherish this because it's profound, because God relates to us in a very personal way. But what does it mean to take God's name in vain? Another way to translate the commandment is, you shall not take up or bear the name of the Lord your God in vain, for nothing, for no good purpose. We could rephrase, you shall not bear the name of the Lord your God for nothing. Since Israel was the people of God, they were to take up, to to bear his name among the nations. The Philistines were people of Dagon. The Sidonians were people of Baal. But the Israelites, the Israelites were people of the Lord. God did not reveal himself to them by name and give them the third commandment for nothing. The Israelites were to bear his name to bring him glory. Perhaps we can think of the Lord's people as his standard bearers, marching each day with the Lord's standard emblazoned on their banners and their uniforms. This is a high standard to march under. But God had set the Israelites free from Egypt. And so the Israelites are now free to bear his name out of thankfulness. In our reading from Leviticus 24, we find an example of how the Israelites faithfully obeyed the third commandment. This passage shows us the you shall not part of the commandment. So we'll see how the Israelites respond to a case where someone does not rightly bear the name of the Lord. And we'll learn from their good example. In this passage, the people are still camped at Mount Sinai. It's not been long since God gave them the Ten Commandments. The passage directs our attention to an Israelite woman's son whose father was an Egyptian. This man is not a pure Israelite. We read elsewhere that there was a mixed multitude that left Egypt with Israel. And the Lord had provided for these foreigners among his people. If the foreigner wanted to keep the Passover to join the people of God in that commemoration, the Lord commanded that all males belonging to him must be circumcised. If that is done, then I quote, he shall be as a native of the land. So this man in our text, he's not a pure Israelite, but the Lord had made provision for him to eat the crumbs that fell from the master's table. How would he respond? This man went out among the people of Israel and, as may happen in a large group of people, living side by side under the hot sun, two guys get into a fight. And and something awful happens, something that apparently had not happened before in the camp. The Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed. The word used for blasphemed here has a sense of singling out something in particular. So the man specifically spoke against God's name. If we use the words of Lord's Day 36, this man had blasphemed and abused the name of God. Israel had just been commanded to bear the name of the Lord. How would would they respond to this horrible sin? Well, they did not share in it by being silent bystanders. 
They brought him to Moses and they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be made clear to them. This hadn't happened before and they don't know exactly what to do, but they jump into action to defend God's holy name. The Lord clearly delivers his judgment. Bring out of the camp the one who cursed and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head and let all the congregation stone him. The one who cursed was taken away from the camp, outside, away from God's holy presence. The witnesses of his sin have a particular role here. They laid their hands on his head, testifying that he is the guilty one. This sin is on his head, and his sin, this sin, is being punished, brought to justice. And all the congregation stoned him. All those who bear God's holy name join in stoning the one who did not, who bore God's holy name in vain. This was a lesson, a warning, a responsibility for them all. They see what happens to those who blaspheme God's name and how their obedience to the third commandment means defending God's name in this way. And the punishment in this case wasn't just a one-off death penalty. The Lord gives this commandment to Moses. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native. When he blasphemes the name shall be put to death. The penalty for blasphemy is always death. It doesn't matter whether it's a native Israelite or someone who lives among them. Everyone bears responsibility in how they use God's holy name. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. There's a few lessons for us here, brothers and sisters. In the first case, we see the example of the blasphemer. We might think to ourselves, I never do that. I never specifically speak against God's holy name. And that's good. That's good. We can praise God that he has saved us from such horrible sin. But the blasphemer in this passage points us to the old nature. The old nature that still clings to us, that still tempts us. It points us to the wicked fruits of total depravity. So we must stand on guard against these dangers. We can use the blasphemer's example to stand on guard. And we can also check our own hearts. The blasphemer went out among the people of Israel and got into a fight. In the heat of the moment, he blasphemed the name. The heat of the moment can sometimes bring out the worst in us. If someone barges in front of you in line at the bank, if someone cuts you off in traffic, you might be ready to fight them. You're not about to blaspheme God's name, but if you're ready to fight at the drop of a hat, are you faithfully bearing God's name? Or are you forgetting that you carry his standard everywhere you go? The heat of the moment is often the perfect opportunity for a heart check. Like the Israelites, we obey the Ten Commandments out of thankfulness to God for his salvation. 
so we can learn more specific lessons from how the Israelites bore the holy name of God in this passage. Look at how seriously they dealt with blasphemy. As soon as it happened, they took action. They brought the blasphemer to Moses. They put him in custody until the will of the Lord was made clear to them. And they obediently followed the Lord's command. A command that probably wasn't easy. A command that they probably didn't want to obey. They stoned the blasphemer. Now, we don't live in Old Testament times. We reflected a a few weeks ago that our nation is not a nation of God's covenant people like Israel. When those around us blaspheme, we don't put them in handcuffs, take them into custody and stone them. But we do live in a blasphemous culture. We hear profanities when we turn on the TV, when we walk onto the job site, when we make friends in the college classroom. What can we do? There's quite a lot of room between being a silent bystander and stoning someone. If we always bear God's holy name, and we do, then we must live with a desire for His glory in our hearts. Lord's Day 36 speaks of preventing and forbidding blasphemy as much as we can. Sometimes we may feel like silent bystanders without opportunity to speak. In these cases, remember, we're not guilted into defending God's name. We've been set free to do so. Our motivation is not guilt, but thankfulness. And there are often cases where we can take action. Perhaps honoring God's name means asking an unbelieving friend to stop using God's name as a curse. In fact, maybe that's the perfect bridge into a gospel conversation. Perhaps preventing blasphemy involves tough choices. Cold turkey quitting your favorite show or the book that you've been reading because profanity and blasphemy occurs so many times in the script. Bearing God's standard might take different shapes in each of our lives. So we don't stone our culture to death for their blasphemy, but the penalty, we must remember, stays the same the blasphemer will suffer eternal death. The sojourner, as well as the native, no one lies outside the scope of the third commandment. Everyone will have to answer for how they use the name of the Lord. As we see the Israelites' example and compare our own hearts to the high standard of the third commandment, we might be thinking, that's impossible. Who could possibly bear the holy name of God perfectly all the time? And that brings us to our second point this afternoon. Eternal life in Christ for those who confess God's holy name. Brothers and sisters, this is where the good news in the third commandment becomes more clear. We don't bear God's name perfectly all the time. But there is someone who did, who does. The Lord, Jesus Christ, perfectly bore and manifested his Father's name to his people. 
Let's read now the, the second part of question and answer 99. The positive side, the you shall of the commandment. We must use the holy name of God only with fear and reverence so that we may rightly confess Him, call upon Him, and praise Him in all our words and works. In this point, we'll, we'll turn from Leviticus 24 and look for comfort and instruction to the perfect example of the Lord Jesus in John chapter 17. In the Gospel of John, our Lord Jesus often teaches about His relationship to the Father. He tells them that He and the Father are one. But the Jews don't understand or believe that. They pick up stones to stone Him and say, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. But Jesus did not blaspheme. He was speaking the truth. He and the Father are one. Jesus bore the name of the Lord perfectly through his entire life. And in John chapter 17, we see this clearly in just one chapter, just one prayer. In the words of Lord's Day 36, our Lord rightly confesses his Father. In verse 6, he prays, I have manifested your name to the people you gave me out of this world. In the Old Testament, the Father had revealed himself by name from the burning bush. But in the New Testament, he goes even further. He reveals himself through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus knew his Father in an intimate way, and he manifests God's name. He teaches us to know God in all his perfections, in a close, personal way. Knowing God transforms your life. In fact, knowing God is life. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To know God is to live. In Leviticus 24, the man knew of God. He knew God's name, but he rejected him in his heart. And that led to blasphemy. Those who blaspheme receive the penalty of death. Jesus does not speak here in our text of just a head sort of knowledge of God, knowing his name. He speaks of a head and a heart knowledge. Knowing God, excuse me, knowing God with your head and your heart produces good fruit, godly fear and reverence, trust, love, devotion. Knowing God leads you to bear his name to his glory. And because Jesus has made his Father's name known to us, and we do know him and the Son whom he sent, this means that we do have eternal life. And so we bear his name eternally. In the, in the words of Lord's Day 36, the Lord Jesus also rightly calls upon his Father in prayer. We read often in the Gospels that Jesus prayed. He went into a desolate place to pray. And in John chapter 17, we have the longest recorded transcript of the, one of those prayers. We see a picture of how Jesus calls upon his Father with perfect reverence. 
In verse 11, he calls God Holy Father. And in verse 25, Righteous Father. He calls upon his Father with petitions that include requests for himself, for his disciples, and and for future believers, for us. He trusts that the Father hears and will answer him in his love and faithfulness. So Jesus rightly confesses, he calls upon, and he also praises his Father in all his words and works. In fact, he starts this prayer with a desire to praise God. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. This prayer comes right before he is betrayed and arrested. The hour of Jesus' most intense suffering had come. But he, he looks past this to when he would rise from the dead and ascend into heaven. The end of all that is about to happen is his Father's glory, and that is Jesus' deepest desire. Our Lord Jesus praises the Father in all his words. In verse 8 he says, I have given them the words that you gave me. He praises the Father in all his works. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. This work included the cross. Jesus praised the holy name of God perfectly all the way to the cross and beyond. So what was the result of Jesus' prayer? Well, the Father did glorify Jesus. But this was part of a plan in process, and a few other parts had to happen first. Although he perfectly bore his Father's name, our Lord was accused of blasphemy. He humbled himself and was put to death on a cross outside the camp. He was brought outside Jerusalem, and he bore his Father's wrath against us, against every time that we do not have not, will not rightly bear God's holy name. But then, at this point, there was a a plot twist in redemptive history because God raised him from the dead, exalted him, and gave him the name that is above every name. In Philippians 2, verse 8 to 11, we read, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, like the people of Israel, We bear God's holy name. But we do so in a way made clear, made new in the New Testament. We bear the name of Jesus, who has the name above all names. We are Christians. We bear the name of Christ literally. Bearing the name of Christ in this world is not easy. It will not be easy. 
The world hates those who belong to Christ because they are not of the world as he is not of the world. But Jesus did not leave us alone when he went up to inherit might and glory on the throne. He sent the one he promised. John 17, 26, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Our Lord continues to make the Father's name known to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. He lives in our hearts. He is with us until the end of the age by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit equips us to bear the name of the Son to the Father's glory. Jesus fulfilled the third commandment for us. He paid the price for our sins against it. And now... He equips us to obey it. Any question of how we are to obey must come from a clear understanding of why we obey. We obey out of thankfulness, set free from guilt. Gratitude is built on a foundation of grace. So with that in mind, how are we to obey? Lord's Day 36 teaches that all of our lives fall under the scope of the third commandment. In fact, in the first place, excuse me, in the first place we, might, we must rightly confess his name. Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confessing is done with the mouth. Sometimes our mouths are a bit unsure of how to confess Christ in our daily lives in casual conversation. But start by confessing the Lord Jesus among the congregation every Sunday in worship. Then move on by confessing the Lord Jesus tomorrow when your coworkers ask what you did on the weekend. You went to church. You bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus who saved you. Bear the name of Christ by calling upon your Father. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. We saw a couple weeks ago that the Israelites called on Samuel to intercede for them, and God did deliver them. We call upon our God through the Lord Jesus who intercedes for us. When we pray in Jesus' name, shaping our hearts and our prayers in accordance with God's word, we will receive and our joy will be full. Bear the name of Christ by praising him in all your words and works. In Colossians 3, Paul writes, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This wonderfully captures the scope of the third commandment. How are we to bear the name of Christ? We're to do it in literally everything. We often think of praise as something that only comes from our mouths, and, and that's true to some extent. We, we praise God in song. We praise God by testifying to his grace in our lives. 
but we also praise God in our works. If your heart is set on bearing God's holy name to His glory, this will overflow into your actions. Why are you volunteering for partners and pals? Because you're a Christian. Because you bear the name of Christ. Why do you pick up groceries for your neighbor or for your parents when they're sick or unable? Because you are bearing the name of Christ. But a life of praise goes even deeper than these things. Why do you put dinner on the table for your family again? Why do you take time to lovingly discipline your child when it hurts again? Because you are bearing the name of the Lord Jesus, you are set free and equipped to, to, to do so by the Holy Spirit out of thankfulness. Be encouraged. Congregation, are there any Christians living in your neighborhood? Or maybe a better question would be, do your neighbors know that they have a Christian living next door? Blasphemy and profanity are so common these days that your neighbor might actually notice if you don't speak in the ways of the world. They might be able to guess that you're a Christian from your lack of blasphemy. But the third commandment is about more than that. If your neighbors are to know that you are a Christian, you may have to tell them. You may have to confess that the Lord Jesus has saved you from your sin, that he has brought you from eternal death to eternal life. During the neighborhood barbecue, you may have to take a moment aside to pray with your family before the meal to call upon God in public. In the summer, your neighbors may have to hear you singing praise to God through open windows. Brothers and sisters, it may sometimes feel uncomfortable to do these things, but remember that you have been set free to do this task. You have been set free to live in thankfulness to God, and you are equipped by the Holy Spirit to bear the name of Christ. So carry that banner high, not so that you're noticed, but so that Christ is honored and the Father is glorified. Amen. Let's now respond in joyful song before our Lord together by singing from hymn 79, the verses 1 through 5. 